Good day, good day, and uh, happy new year. I think we're recording this uh, episode one day before New Year's Day, and uh, I have my producer and fiance, Laura Hauser. Hi, say? guys. Wow. Uh, so today's uh, another update episode. Um, let's get straight to the point. The next episode is coming out next week, January 8th, 2018. Been Woohoo! A, first episode of the year. Of the, yeah, yeah, it's magical. It would have been nice if it had come out today, but <laughs> there's been a lot of celebrations going on, right? Yeah, exactly. Too well, much pressure on ourselves. Yeah. So uh, what's uh, what's going on with this new episode? Uh, I know we we brought out episode eight uh, two weeks ago, I think, or was it last week? I think it was last last week. Two weeks I think ago. it was two weeks ago. Two weeks ago. So episode eight came out two weeks ago. And uh, we introduced a new character, Loisia. Um, but I, I, I don't want to dwell too much on that. I, I wanted to spend some time talking about chapter one specifically. Yeah, the beginning. Um, before we get into that, we can talk about how our week has been and uh, what we've been up to. I think we we got to see this uh, the new movie by... Uh, uh, the Shape of Water by Guillermo, by Guillermo del Toro. Del, Guillermo del Toro, and it was one hell of a good film, but very odd, very weird, very very weird take on love. I I don't know what to make of it, because in all shapes, by all shapes and purposes, it was a good film, right? But the whole thing was just odd. I felt like the acting was was so on point and beautiful and and like I really enjoyed the characters but definitely odd elements that almost made you slightly squeam like squirmish squeamish I guess I don't know but it like it was still good it was a good it was film. definitely still good yeah it was a great film all right so let's talk about chapter one right um we just have we don't have too long to talk about it we're just gonna spitballs and try to come up with uh, ideas and questions that, you know, can... Uh... I mean, I ha- I definitely have a question. And uh. as, a, as a fellow reader, I, I want to know, like, who John is. Uh, I think the idea of Chapter 1 was to write John and try to bring his motivations to the fore, like, straight away. Um. I think the few other few chapters gives an idea of who John is, but I wanted to bring his motivations to the core, to the forefront. And chapter one was just basically about John's motivations. He arrives in the colony district on a bus and he walks through reminiscing about the past. He sees the bust of Beatrice. And it affects him in a positive way. He he sees, like, it feels like home for him. He's been out for right, 10 years. Right, it's sort of a, a reminiscence, yes. right, of a, of a past life. Exactly. When he was more at his prime, yes. correct? Right. Um, uh, we introduce John to Antonio. Um, and there's a certain dynamic that has gone on between John and Antonio from the first chapter that we will probably build on in the next few chapters. But 
in his reactions, Antonio would never liked John, and you could see that. And uh, John, you know, he tries to be nice. He says, like, yo, you know, tries to talk to Antonio in a nice way, and Antonio is dismissive. There's obviously an underlying tension that's going on between the two of them. Um, which is always going to be built on. Yeah, because I noticed from 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 the beginning, John and Antonio's interactions. It's it's like more so on Antonio's part. There's not to talk about Antonio, but just to bring it up while we're sure. talking about John, um, is there's this repulsion, re, you know, repulsion attraction thing with Antonio. It's like he doesn't he doesn't really like John, and yet he's like there's this pull to John. Yeah. From Antonio's perspective, I don't know. I picked that up right away. That's there's going to be more about that in the future. Um, yeah, there's going to be more to that in the future. I just think John is sort of he's 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 not mysterious in the sense of like like he's this hidden character. I think that that he's he's very um, he, he's sort of an open book. But there's a part of John that you don't fully, right, you don't fully, like, you can't fully understand his motivations. Yeah. I mean, you understand that his his son, you know, has died and and his wife is missing. Yes. Or perhaps, you know, something, you know, something's wrong with the wife, right? Mara. So you get his motivation there, but I feel like Mike and John's relationship is a little bit more clouded. You know, from a sibling perspective. Yeah, I think but there's some, there's a war I was alluded to in the book that I never feel like it's worth going too deep into. Maybe in the next chapter, there's going to be a little bit more discussion about what the war was about. But the war is not really important to the story. I just wanted to highlight the fact that they were at war. At war. So growing up, just people grew up very fast. Their father was well, a general. Well, I think that you gloss over this topic of the war, but I feel like the tension between the two brothers is a metaphor for the actual, you know, war that they had gone through. In a way. Um, I don't know. I don't think... I, I, don't th- I don't think they were ever close. That is the basic idea. I don't know. I just, in, whether you intentionally wrote it or not, I feel like one of the brothers idolized and like truly loved them and they are now disillusioned with the other. So what my idea of John was that he always looked up to Mike because Mike was of a higher rank than he right, was. Right, and the older brother and uh, it's and, natural. And when John uh, decided to leave, Mike took that a little too strong to heart um, because you saw how he reacted when John walked into the room and he said, I've told all my kids that you're dead. And John is like, dead. I was only gone for like 10 years, you know, for Mike, it was like, he had this idea that they were close and John had this idea that Mike was to be, uh, what do you call it? To be revered because he was like the captain. He was like, the right. he was higher the, the than higher, him. Right? Yeah. And he looked up to his brother, but the situation, which I haven't delved into, I've only shown you the effects of what happened. Um, the situation forced John's hand and he had to leave. And Mike saw that as a slight against him. And he just basically erased John from his mind. 
Um, and he re- overreacted, telling his kids that John was dead. And, you know, he always wanted John back, but he was too proud to get him. Right. And I think that you've written Mike to be an extremely proud man. Yeah. And he's, he, comp- he compartmentalizes parts of his life. You mm. know, his wife and his kids, you know, are, are one area of his life. You know, his relationship with John, you know, and his... He's, you know, he's a crime lord. He's a, you know, he's, yeah. he's in, he's a criminal. Um, I, I think that was basically what I was trying to get at. And, and, and the funny thing about it is when we get introduced to Mike, we're introduced into a Mike who feels like the world is against him right now. Um, and all of a sudden his brother comes in. Um, I think there was a, uh, at the initial point of it, John walks in and is being searched by uh, the guards and as he was, two brothers, two of the rivals come out of the office. And uh, John stands there trying to figure out why the rivals came here with no guards to, you know, without a lot of security around them. But he just showed up. Uh, family was uh, the Matthias uh, Rogner and Julius Rogner, who run the Kreuzberg district. Um, uh, another rival gang. Uh, but who answer to the drug and baron? I think one of the things that I should probably explain is how the system works. Think of it like a triangle where uh, you have different crime lords who control different areas, but everything always leads to the drug and baron who controls everyone. It's sort of like a pyramid scheme um, in a way, right? Because the drug and baron is the leader of all of them. Uh, but he has a loose leadership over all the other rival gangs. Right. I mean, it it's, harkens back to the days of, um, like, the feudal lords, right? You know, they had their certain patch that they carved out of, and they ruled that area of land. But then they answered to someone higher, right? You know, the, the, it's always, you know, I mean, it, that, that's, an, that's an age-old yeah, um, system right before yeah. democracy and and all these other types of you know governments you know there was there's always been a hierarchy right and I yeah. think that's what you're basically just think of it as them paying tribute to the dragon baron but sometimes some of these lords grow more powerful um, than the leader at the top and they start a revolt and they take over and the pyramid twists you know they it goes you know. Think of feudal Japan, where one of the uh, shoguns, the smaller shoguns, goes after a larger shogun and overtakes him and becomes the shogun of everyone. So basically, that's the idea uh, of how the uh, the drug imbalance system works. And it only works on a tributary system. Um, As long as the drug imbalance is more powerful than everybody else, he gets to be Dragon Baron. And what happens is Mike's father was a Dragon Baron and he accumulated a lot of wealth. And Mike took over. And while he is still the most wealthy, the other families are beginning to catch up. Right. So I guess in all of this explanation, it still goes back to who is John? Who is John in all of this? I mean, I understand that Mike is the older brother, but like, what about John? John was supposed to be the person who took over after Mike goes away. Um, basically the idea was Mike's father gave it, Mike's father, uh, gave it to Mike and John was supposed to be next in line. Um, John leaves 
because of the situation with his wife and he stays away for 10 years even after his wife disappears and i think one of the things that mike feels uh about is the fact that now the he can't possibly pass the family uh prize down to john anymore there's a new player in town and that's casper barrel and you get introduced to casper barrel in the next in chapter three you know, during the anniversary, but, you know. And in the 10-year gap, could you enlighten maybe some readers on what happens in that 10-year gap? The thing to understand is that in that 10-year gap, I don't think John got to do anything he wanted to do. Um, one of the things that I tried to highlight was how he joked about how he wanted to write. And he never actually got to do that. I, I'd never really touched on why. But there were many things that John um, was thinking he would do, but he never got to do. And uh, and I specifically talked about, you know, maybe I could write, and Mike just dismisses it. I think the reason why Mike dismisses it is because he feels like John, who grew up in the time of war and who spent all his life um, being a one of the top fighters for the drug environment, can't just leave that world and just go into writing and trying to do normal stuff the effects of his leaving eventually takes a toll and i think knowing that reality that reality is also one of the reasons why john comes back in this episode there's he's left he's lost it all he's lost a lot he's lost his wife he's lost um any sense of hope and he feels like coming back would be basically coming back home. So that's basically what I was trying to achieve with that. Right, and that's why when John in the, in the first chapter, you know, he, he's reminiscent. Even though it's it's a terrible setting, right, geographically, you know, it's, it's a dark, gloomy, rainy night, and yet he's still reminiscing. Um, you know, like yes. the memories are still there, right? He, he's trying to attain. He's trying to to get back to a place that he's home, used to. Guess, yeah, right. He's yeah. trying to come back home, um, and it's it's a lot more difficult than you could imagine. Yeah, right? because number one, Mike is resistant to the idea. Of course, um, I, I don't think he, Mike didn't just jump on it because, like, oh my God, you could welcome home. Mike was like, dude, you left here. You were here. I, the last time I saw you, you were screaming and shouting that you wanted to leave. And now you left. I told my kids that you were dead. Why the hell do you want me back? You were, you were, you know, he didn't want, he didn't want him. He didn't want him back, you know, all that. Anyways, um, one other thing that I want to uh, touch on is the idea of the darkness. I think um, there is a, an area of the colony district where Mike and Mike lives and where Mike rules called the darky, uh, the darkness area where it's basically, uh, think of it more of a prison with pipes running around the ceiling and you have a bunch of people in there. It's just a secluded area where they f keep the people who have become overcome with the, overcome by the drug Truxy Cotinol. And in the book, I call it Troxy for short. And uh, basically, these people have an addiction to the drug and the pipes in the ceiling allows them to take it in. Um, when they do take it in, they are lost 
to the world for several hours. Um, and uh, if they don't have any access to it, they become aggressive and irrational. Um, I touched on that when John was walking towards Mike's place. He he talks about how the darkies scared the shit out of them because they're not basically human anymore. Um, and there's going to be more on the darkies in a future chapter, maybe in a chapter sooner than you think. Um, but I, I think what I was trying to create in chapter one was an introduction to one of the main characters of the book, John who we get introduced to as a lonely guy who is craving the comforts of home. And home for him was a dark, menacing place where addiction, where, uh, uh, what do you call it, um, sadness, uh, and people who live in despair live. Um, and he was coming from the city, uh, from the city district where it's neon lights, law and order. And in the colony district, there's no law and order. There's, there's aggression, there's violence, there's, uh, you know, all sorts of stuff. But this is what he feels is home. Basically, he stands under a picture of a, uh, of a billboard named Beatrice, not a billboard, like a a large woman who's a large picture pin of a, of a woman with neon lights whose legs open up and down and as a huge bust. And he calls that home because for a, lot, for a large portion of his life, this was home. And I... I Interestingly enough, you would expect that when he goes to somewhere like the city district where everything is comfortable, you know, he would feel like that was home. But I think trying to create that contrast and maybe in future chapters, if you get to, to that point, you, you will see that um, there is a very big distinction between the two worlds. Um, but that's basically what I was trying to get at in this, uh, in this chapter. Um, is there anything else we wanted to talk about? I think that we did, you did pretty well. Like I, I was enlightened more about, you know, John's motivation and kind of like what, what you have, where you have him going. And yeah, I think that you helped me as a reader. So one of the things that I was trying to achieve with chapter one was to set up the world in general, um, to also make sure that the reader is interested in what is going to happen next. I did. I, I wanted to create one of the main characters. I wanted to set up the world, especially the colony district. Um, and chapter two is politics, where I basically set up the contrast of that, where colony district is a place where there's no law and order. People are fighting, boxing. You have people boxing in the streets. Prostitutes walk around. People are hissing at each other. There's nobody who is trying to stop any of this from happening. The, the dragon baron is only... I mean, it's a lawless... It's, it's basically a lawless, lawless. land. Uh, think of it more as a libertarian area where the rich are able to carve a world for themselves. And I go into that uh, in a future episode. Um, but the most important thing is the colony district is chaos. John is returning to chaos because chaos feels like home for him and home isn't ready just about it 
just about time. It's not just about ready to have him back. They will eventually, you know, we'll see how the story progresses. But he has, uh, he has to come back to become whole again. And in home, he has conflicts he has to face. Antonio is waiting for him. Mike isn't ready to have him. And he has his own demons he has to face. So, basically, chapter one is me setting John's storyline up. Um, and I'm hoping that by the end of the book or the podcast, you would come to appreciate John as a character. Uh, the strengths of the story is going to be the characters. And I focus so much on making sure the characters work. And then putting those characters in different worlds where John, how John reacts to the world, how, you know, all the other characters, Melissa, Mike, Aloysia, uh, um, Mara, all, all these characters react to the world that they're put in. Um, so that's basically all I have. Uh... Well, I guess we have uh, 2018 to look forward to. I hope you guys uh, have a wonderful New Year's celebration. And uh, this turned out to be not as hard as I thought. Uh, be safe. <laughs> New Year's <laughs> Eve. <laughs> All right. Hope you enjoyed the episode. I'm still getting to grips with how to podcast. So bear with me for now. Okay? Ciao. Oh, and finally, yes, the most controversial of all. Is the sound of the saxophone. I think everybody hits me up about the sound of the saxophone. I said, Mike, I said, uh, Antonio was playing the trumpet. Antonio was playing a saxophone. The reason that happened is because I had no saxophone. I had no trumpet sound at that point. I had to actually go out. I will be releasing episode one without the sound effects and, and with a trumpet sound. Or maybe I'll just release chapter one with just a trumpet sound. Oh, and uh, finally, one of the reasons, uh, if you've noticed, if you stay from chapter one and you're currently listening to the episode right now, in chapter one, I started with all sorts of sound effects. And right now, I'm only limiting the sound effects to the music for mood. Um, I think as the chapters uh, progressed, I got feedback about what works and what doesn't. And I think in the earlier chapters, I was trying to experiment to figure out what was going to stay around. And right now, the system that we currently have is what we're going to be going with. I may in the future go back and re-release the earlier chapters to match the current um, system where um, we don't use sound effects, um, but we use sound for mood. Um, That's about it. You guys have a wonderful new year. And uh, wish you the very best. Bye.